You're listening to the Judicial Watch Weekly Update with Tom Fitton. Hey everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update on social media. Thank you as always for joining us this week. A lot going on this week. We've exposed some outrageous racialist material here in the District of Columbia school system. Uh, Plus, we have an important new lawsuit for election integrity in New York City and in New York State. Uh, And I'll talk to you about that. Uh, First up, though, I want to talk about the uh, left's continued assault on your civil liberties. And what civil liberties should you be worried about? Well, virtually all of them, practically speaking. Uh, But in particular, they've been focused on the uh, right to own and bear a weapon as guaranteed and reflected in the Second Amendment a right which was uh, further upheld and highlighted by the Supreme Court a few weeks ago in a decision uh, that essentially said the Second Amendment is not a second-class right. And since then, you would have thought the Supreme Court hasn't ruled. You've had New York State uh, demand, for instance, uh, that you can't bear arms in virtually, virtually any place of a public nature in the whole state of New York, which is specifically at odds with what the Supreme Court ruled. So here you have the leftist running New York State standing in the courthouse door uh, against the civil liberties of New York citizens, again, has highlighted by the Supreme Court. And of course, the left is pretending the Second Amendment doesn't exist uh, in the face of this terrible shooting in Highland Park, Illinois at that July 4th parade. Uh, seven Seven people were murdered. Uh, by this lunatic of a young man and um, who had weapons legal, uh, who arguably could have had those weapons uh, denied him based on his prior conduct and interactions with the police. Uh, But they want to use that as an excuse to take away the weapons of tens of millions, hundreds of millions of American citizens. And I highlight this issue to uh, not to get into the gun debate again, You know, I support uh, gun rights generally, uh, and, uh, you know, we can argue back and forth about that, and you can debate below uh, the extent of the Second Amendment protections. But it's just, it's the left promoting policies that are obviously unconstitutional in light of Supreme Court rulings. And it's just part and parcel of the left's attack on the rule of law and the Constitution and uh, a key part of the government, the Supreme Court. Uh, You have it with the gun ruling. You have it with the crazed pro-abortionist attack on um, the court as well. Uh, Even even today, uh, we have reports, uh, not reports, we know it's happened, that uh, the former prime minister of Japan was assassinated with a makeshift uh, gun-type weapon Terrible, terrible tragedy for the people of Japan, obviously, uh, the former prime minister, an important person there. And President Biden uses an opportunity to essentially advocate for gun control here in the United States. Incredible. And this fanaticism has dangerous consequences. You had an assassination attempt on Justice Kavanaugh, uh, which was, in my view, a consequence of the illegal... uh, protests outside his home and the homes of other uh, Supreme Court justices uh, just earlier this week. You've had, and of course that was endorsed by the Biden White House. And 
Justice Kavanaugh was in a restaurant downtown, evidently he had to flee the restaurant because protesters started harassing him and patrons at the restaurant. So now you've got justices having to flee for their personal safety from crowds of protesters that have been egged on by this White House who have refused to condemn, and I don't think the president personally has even said a word about the extraordinary assassination attempt on uh, uh, Justice Kavanaugh. And you've had also the U.S. Marshal of the Supreme Court, which represents the entire court, send letters to leaders, leaders in Virginia and Maryland asking them to enforce local laws that prevent protests outside the homes of Supreme Court justices and, frankly, other citizens. And the response is, certainly from Maryland, one of the, um, uh, the county executive for Montgomery County where uh, at least two, I think th maybe there are two Supreme Court justices who live in Montgomery County. And uh, he said, well, I'm, I'm not gonna do anything in terms of this is the First Amendment. And he talked about, and then he attacked the court for tearing up the Constitution. So you have uh, leftist politicians refusing to uh, defend the rule of law and protect justices from illegal activity. And the same goes in Fairfax County, Virginia. There's been no enforcement of the law there, as best I can tell. You know, the laws do protect people at home, and at the federal level you have laws that protect the uh, justices as well, which aren't being enforced by Garland and the Justice Department. And as I said, the exact opposite, the lawlessness is being encouraged by the Biden White House. So this is what I suggest you do. If you live in Maryland or Virginia, communicate with your elected officials about the failure to protect uh, the Supreme Court justices who live in your states from, from uh, intimidation by the radical left. And especially if you live in Fairfax County, Virginia, or Montgomery County, Maryland, I encourage you to communicate with your elected officials in those counties to demand uh, protection of uh, your fellow residents, your fellow Supreme Court citizens, uh, your fellow Supreme Court justices who are residents there. So uh, in the meantime, Judicial Watch is investigating, by the way, the leak. We're investigating the security issues as it relates to the failures to protect the Supreme Court justices by local and federal law enforcement. So Judicial Watch isn't going to forget this. Uh, but this is a kind of a coordinated assault on the rule of law. And uh, it goes beyond guns. As I said, it goes into abortion. The president is uh, announced uh, all hands on deck uh, uh, approach by his administration to advocate for abortion on demand. Uh, frankly, it looks like contrary to the Constitution and the, and the Supreme Court ruling. So you have all of these um, and you know, those who support abortion or gun or, or gun restrictions kind of uh, opposing the Supreme Court's decisions on civil rights matters. And it, frankly, it reminds me of uh, some who decades ago opposed Supreme Court decisions on civil rights matters. Now, the left will get angry that there's a connection there, but I see a connection. Then they oppose the idea that the states now have the ability to extend the protection of the right to life to unborn human beings, the protection of law. Well, that's what segregation was about. The law was being, the protection of law was being denied people based on race and other improper considerations.
and now you have other folks saying that they don't want the civil rights extended to unborn human beings. That's the reality of it. So there you go. We, we're in dangerous times when it comes to our Republican form of government. You've got the Supreme Court under attack by the media and the left. You've got threats of violence directed at the court. Uh, inaction and, frankly, uh, complicity, in my view, by the leadership of Congress and uh, the presidency. So uh, these, are, these are terrible times in that regard, and we just have to call attention to it. The media won't. They'll pretend nothing, none, nothing's happening. But believe you me, uh, there's significant disruption going on in our judicial system as a result of uh, the left's attacks on uh, the operations of the judiciary and the justices of the Supreme Court personally. Well, those of you who have been following Judicial Watch has, uh, know that we are a leader in advocating for uh, fair and clean elections and advocating for election integrity in the face of uh, those who uh, want to undermine clean elections and refuse to uphold the rule of law uh, that ensure that only um, legal voters count, uh, vote and uh, register to vote. Along those lines, Judicial Watch back in, I think, 2012, we began uh, taking legal action to clean up the voter rolls. Federal law requires that the states take reasonable steps to clean up voter rolls. They weren't doing it. The Justice Department wasn't enforcing the law. Thankfully, federal law allowed private individuals who were aggrieved to enforce the law. And we filed the first private lawsuits to clean up election rolls in Ohio and Indiana. And we were successful there, more or less, got them to uh, either clean up the rolls or change the law. Then we sued in California. California settled with us. They're right now in the process of removing up to 1.6 million names from the rolls in Los Angeles County. We sued in Kentucky. We got a consent decree that forced Kentucky to clean up, north, uh, up hundreds of thousands of names from their rolls. We sued in North Carolina. We ended that lawsuit after they essentially cleaned up all the rolls that we were concerned about, 430,000 names from the, from the voting rolls directly. We've got lawsuits ongoing to clean up the rolls in Pennsylvania and Colorado. So when it comes to cleaning up election rolls, uh, Judicial Watch has been the number one advocate for enforcing the rule of law there. And our elections are significantly more cleaner, not as clean as they should be, given the reliance on these roles, uh, reliance on these roles for vote by mail, which I think is an abomination. Uh, but election rolls are a lot cleaner in several states because of what Judicial Watch is doing. But there's a lot more work to do. And so we recently warned, uh, at least I think it was five states, that their voting rolls were completely out of whack and uh, they weren't essentially removing anyone from the rolls as law requires. And one of those states, uh, we just sued, North, uh, New York, not North Carolina, New York. We already sued North Carolina. So we sued New York State and uh, the election officials in New York City, who it looks like haven't cleaned their rolls in large measure in six years at least. And the lawsuit was filed this week. It's a federal lawsuit under the National Voter Registration Act. And as I described earlier, the NVRA requires states to conduct a general program that makes a reasonable effort to remove from the official voting rolls the names of, of ineligible voters. Uh, 
who have died or changed residence or moved away. Among other things, the law requires registrations to be canceled when voters fail to respond to address confirmation notices and then fail to vote in the next two general federal elections. In 2018, the Supreme Court confirmed that such removals are mandatory. And that case that I'm referencing that was before the Supreme Court actually had validated a Judicial Watch settlement earlier that the left was angry about. Why would the left oppose cleaning up their, uh, dirty election rolls? Well, you know the answer to that, don't you? And then, again, I want to describe what the process is here because it shows you how awful these uh, state systems are, these local systems are in terms of voter list maintenance. All they have to do, if you don't show up to vote in a federal election, let's say you didn't vote to show up in 2020, they were supposed to send you a postal card, postcard. And hey, you didn't show up to vote. Are you still there? And if you don't respond and not vote in the next two federal elections, so you're talking upwards of over five years potentially, they're supposed to remove your names from the rolls. And they can't be bothered to even do that, it looks like, in New York City. It looks like under that process, according to our analysis of the data they provided to us, that they've removed only 22 names from a list of over five and a half million voters throughout all of New York City. And when you look at the number of people who have likely moved, just using commonly available or you know, publicly available data, more than 600 voting age residents per year are estimated to have changed residents in New York City during the five year period from 2016 through 2020. So you're not talking about tens of thousands of names that might be improperly on the rolls. You're talking potentially millions of names that might be on the voting rolls in New York City improperly. And why is it important to have cleaning voting rolls? Because dirty voting rolls are a pool from which fraudsters can draw to vote illegally. Dirty voting, dirty voting rolls also undermine confidence in the elections. If you think the lists are crazy and anyone can vote using anyone else's name because there are hundreds of thousands of, of uh, dead names on the rolls or ghost voters on the rolls, people don't want to participate in elections like that. This is what the left, but they do understand it. They just don't like elections. They don't like clean elections. But you should understand that when elections are clean and well run, individuals are more likely to participate in the process. If you think your vote will be counted and won't be negated by fraudulent voting, or you're confident that the system is working well and uh, you, 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 know, you don't have hundreds of thousands of extra dirty names on the rolls, you're more likely to participate. It makes a certain amount of sense, doesn't it? And the courts have agreed with that analysis. The Judicial Watch lawsuit details that New York City's own recent data concedes that there were only, as I said, 22 total removals under this provision that I've described under the National Voter Registration Act during a six-year period in a city of over five and a half million voters. And as our lawsuit says, federal court, 
These are ludicrously small numbers of removals given the sizable populations in these counties. Now I talk about how many people are moving per year, and this is, this is the county by county uh, number of people who are moving according to the data we have. The estimated number of voting age citizens changing residence during the five-year period from 2016 to 2022 in the five counties of New York City was 194,000 in Kings County, 127,000 in Queens County, Kings County is Brooklyn generally, um, 190,000 in New York County, which is Manhattan, 82,000 in Bronx, and um, I don't see anything for Richmond, which is Staten Island. Well, those are big numbers. As I said, 600,000 annually per year almost. Now, you think, well, maybe, maybe is this a problem throughout all of New York State? No, no, it isn't. It's a New York City issue. Judicial Watch notes that Yates County, one of the smallest counties in New York, with a current total registration of only about 14,500 voters, made 1,251 removals under this provision during the same six-year period. That number is exponentially greater than the 22 removals during the same period in all of New York City. So you guys can do the, the math uh, if, as a percentage basis, what would be the number of uh, voters that should have been removed in New York City. And, and you, you'll see the numbers are astonishing. There's been almost a complete failure over a period of at least six years to follow the law to remove the voters under this key provision. And it means that there are untold numbers of New York City registrations for voters who are ineligible to vote at their listed address because they've changed residence or are otherwise ineligible to vote. Now, of course, it doesn't mean that they don't remove anyone from the rolls, but the people they actually remove from the rolls because they found out they died or something like that, it's just a small, a small number compared to the number of people who have obviously moved out of the jurisdiction and whose name should no longer be on the roll. Dirty voting rolls can mean dirty elections. And if I can say it once, I'll say it a thousand times. Dirty voting rolls can mean dirty elections. And New York City's are one of the dirtiest voting rolls we've seen in the country. So we obviously want cleaner elections in New York, and that's why we filed this federal lawsuit. Again, we have already active lawsuits against Pennsylvania and Colorado. We were successful in North Carolina. We ended that lawsuit after they removed 430,000 names. We settled in Los Angeles and in California. Now, we may do more work in California because other counties there have, uh, aren't cleaning the rolls as they're supposed to. Same goes in Illinois and in Oregon. So there's a lot to do here, and this is an important first step. And I can tell you that for all the noise you're hearing about election integrity, I would submit that Judicial Watch is the number one entity out there, both in the government and out of the government, who are actually trying and successfully trying to uh, fix our elections. We are cleaning up the rolls. Uh, we have a new lawsuit in Illinois over a legal counting of votes for two weeks after the election. Even undated ballots that come in two weeks after the election, they'll count them, even though the law requires that those, uh, those ballots be counted in a more timely way. 
we don't have an election month or election weeks. We're supposed to have an election day, and we're trying to vindicate that in, in, um, in Illinois. We had this big victory uh, here in Maryland where we stopped through a state lawsuit uh, election rigging by the Democratic legislature where they had this, uh, they were trying to rig the congressional maps through gerrymandering, and uh, the court stopped it. And they had to redraw the map thanks to Judicial Watch and our litigation. So there's really no one doing all of that across the nation the way Judicial Watch is. And succeeding. And succeeding. I mean, Judicial Watch's election integrity efforts are second to none. So I encourage you to find out more about this litigation. We just filed it in New York. We've got the litigation in Illinois. We've got the ongoing litigation in uh, Pennsylvania and Colorado. And this law that requires states to take reasonable steps to clean up the rolls, by the way, you should check to see what your state is doing. See what your locality is doing. Ask them about it. The law allows you to access documents about what they're doing in terms of voter roll cleanup. You can respectfully ask for that information and they're supposed to give it to you. So that's a good little project uh, for you to do to make sure that your local community and your state are cleaning up the rolls because obviously you know, we, we're doing what we can in terms of litigation and investigation and highlighting this, but as I said, the problem is, is significant still. So it, it's certainly something that citizens can educate themselves on and uh, pursue in terms of demanding accountability there. Another big issue out there is the critical race theory agenda that is uh, really overtaking our schools, our government, our military, our culture. And as we've highlighted, it's repackaged Marxism. It's racism. It encourages discrimination and targeting of people on race in violation of the Constitution and virtually every uh, discrimination law under the sun. And it needs to be stopped. It needs to be exposed. And by exposing it, we hope to stop it. And Judicial Watch is, uh, is not waiting for the government to investigate this or the media to investigate this because they're obviously not. Uh, parents are concerned about this going on in the school districts, and they're doing a great job. Uh, some parent activist groups and individual parents we know are doing some great work in that regard. Judicial Watch has been investigating the school abuses as well, working with parents informally, and also doing our own FOIAs and lawsuits. Uh, but we noticed something was going on here in D.C., so we filed a FOIA last year about so-called affinity spaces, which is a code word for segregation. And we found that in D.C., the school office, the main office, was pushing employees to segregate themselves according to race. Again, the local D.C. government school district was encouraging employees to segregate themselves according to race, using tax dollars to shuffle people into affinity groups based on race incredible material that we've uncovered. The records include a DCPS, DC Public Schools, September 2021 PowerPoint presentation titled DCPS Affinity Group Interest Form. 
The equity strategy and programming team initially launched Affinity Spaces as safe spaces for you to reflect and process following the murder of George Floyd. And we're going to continue them throughout the 21-22 school year as a place for folks to reflect and continue to learn and grow. One way to process in a safe space is through Affinity. Affinity spaces are gathering opportunities for people who share a common identity. The space will be organized based on the racial identities represented, represented in central office as we aim to lean into the courageous conversation condition of isolating race. I'm not going to interpret the last part of that sentence because it sounds like racialist gobbledygook, but here we are hearing or seeing a D.C. government agency, D.C. public schools, encouraging the uh, uh, staff in their central office to segregate themselves by, state, by race. They say their teams will co-facilitate these affinity groups in collaboration with volunteers at least once a month, but more frequently as requested by the group. A form in the presentation, of course, asks respondents to submit their pronouns, and they include all sorts of uh, pronouns, which I think many people will find problematic and objectionable. The school staff is asked to select what, which racial affinity groups you plan to join via Teams. Now, Teams is a, uh, a program available uh, for collaboration, um, online collaboration. Select all that apply to you and your racial identities. And then you'll get a separate calendar invite, I guess, once you join the group. And the racial identities you're supposed to select from are Asian American Pacific Islander, Black African American, Hispanic Latin X, which is also objectionable. Tell, tell a Hispanic person you know that they're Latin X. They'll probably look at you like you're like you said something wrong to them. Indigenous Native American. Indigenous. What does that mean? Again, another left-wing way of, 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 of dividing Americans. And then, of course, multiracial and white. And the other choice is I'm not represented by any of these options and want to recommend another group. So who knows how many uh, segregated race groups uh, D.C. public schools headquarters are running. And the forum also gets into separating yourself by sexual identity. Uh, they want to know if you're interested in, uh, the staffers are interested in LGBTQIA plus affinity spaces. And of course, then once you def decide that you're interested in segregating yourself by sexual identity, then, then you're further segregated by race. Are you white LGBTQIA plus or are you BIPOC? LGBTQIA+. Now, BIPOC is a new phrase. Uh, it's, by, uh, it's Black Indigenous People of Color. So that's the new uh, phrase uh, for further segregating Americans from each other. And so later, they talk about how these groups are, uh, they're going to have these uh, come together to talk about what these segregated uh, racial groups are doing. Uh, but then the group meetings are going to be led by people based on their race. So they have a schedule. The October meeting will be led by the Hispanic, Latino, Latinx affinity group. December to be led by the white affinity group, and they capitalize white, which is racist. Uh, February to be led by the black affinity group, and they capitalize black, which is racist. But when you have capitalizations of race like that, 
That echoes to apartheid South Africa. That's what they would do in apartheid South Africa. It, that changes the, the, descript, the use of the word to, from a descriptor to a category based on other characteristics that are racially outrageous in terms of just presuming that blacks have share all these characteristics or whites share all sorts of other characteristics. It's unbelievable that this is going on in the government, don't you agree? These shocking documents show an evident violation of the Constitution and civil rights laws that the public school system of our nation's capital has pushed blatant racial discrimination among its staff based on radical Marxist CRT principles. Now, the thing about Washington, D.C. is that uh, even though there's this, uh, what they call, you know, there's a mayor and a council, all of that is at the sufferance of Congress. Because under the Constitution, our nation's capital is governed by the, the Congress. So if I were you, I would raise this with your congressman. Why are you allowing this to take place in our nation's capital? Because Congress can shut this down in a heartbeat. Of course, they're loath to do it because they pretend, oh, well, you know, we, we have to let D.C. government, D.C. govern itself, even though the Constitution explicitly gives Congress the authority to govern the nation's capital for rather obvious reasons. But this is what's going on in our nation's capital. Now, we highlighted for you the CRT propaganda being force-fed our cadets in West Point a few weeks ago. Uh, by the way, they just gave the general responsible, in part for that, a promotion. He went from a third star to a fourth star, and he's being sent over and, and uh, given a promotion to uh, go over to Europe for a job well done by instituting critical race theory concepts at West Point. And we have lawsuits on behalf of uh, teachers and such who have been retaliated against for criticizing this agenda. And of course, many other uh, litigations and, and FOIA requests throughout the country to expose it further. But I fear this is going on throughout the country. And in this case, uh, you have um, employees of the DC public schools who are being victimized. Now, I know many of them may support this, but that doesn't matter, they're still being victimized. Civil rights laws pro prohibit this type of racial uh, segregation, and that's what it is. And Judicial Watch has exposed it, not the media and not Congress. So I encourage you uh, to support Judicial Watch. As you can see in this video, we're doing excellent work that no one else, dare I say, is doing to vindicate the rule of law, protect elections, expose the truth about government corruption, and uh, successfully stopping government corruption. So get the, get the word out about what we're doing. Educate your fellow Americans about what we're doing, but also support Judicial Watch directly. Uh, you can see uh, that uh, we get results uh, in ways that you often don't see here in Washington, D.C. And with that, I wish you the best, and I'll see you here next week on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. Thanks for listening to the Judicial Watch Weekly Update with Tom Fitton. 
For more information, visit www.judicialwatch.org because no one is above the law. 